There's a, a child near you or next to you, and I mean anybody 17 and under, could you just take a moment and thank them for their leadership in this church? Because that story happens because our kids cared enough about refugees a few summers ago to lead us as a congregation. Take a moment and thank the kids near you, please. Kids, if I were you, I'd, I would ask for cash from anybody who, <laughs> say, prove it. All right, before we jump into the message this morning, I, I want to give you a glimpse into what happens in the mind of whoever is sitting right there. So, Greg, I'm exposing us a little bit. Here are the things that are going through my mind during this worship service. Some of it is thankfulness, and some of it is just paranoia. Um, one, I love having the kids here, don't you? It's just the best. Second... I didn't hear anything the pre-choristers did because I was ready for a fall at any moment and I was going to save the day as a first responder, okay? <laughs> Third, I am so thankful for the staff of this church, for Perry's leadership. He put that video together for Donovan, Julia, and everybody else who serves at this church. You, you know this congregation. God has truly blessed us. Um, I was very impressed that our family ministry team did not plug their own event, which is this Wednesday for all families to come on Family Advent Night, and our church is equipping us as parents, as grandparents, you're invited, to learn how to navigate the Christmas season and bring Jesus into all of this consumerism and marketing. And so this Wednesday, look in your worship folder, especially families, please come on Wednesday night and let our family ministry team. And the last thing is, Greg, I really think we need to put the offering at the end because there will be people who come at 11 and we want them to participate somehow in this service. And I thought that would be an easy one. So we're gonna change that for the future. All right, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We are in the book of 1 John. 1 John is near the very, very end of the Bible. I'm going to show you where it is in mine. So we have a whole lot before we get to this. Uh, 1 John, and we're going to be in chapter 2, uh, just for a, a few verses. Um, we're going to start at verse, this will start at verse 4, but I'm going to start us in verse 3. The writer says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message that you've heard, yet... I'm writing you a new command, and its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And this is the hard part, church. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the word of God. You may be seated. All of us, I want you just for a moment before we jump into this text 
to think about your own family. Uh, and this is an easy time for many of us to think about our families, the families we've come from, the, the families that we have just been with or we will be with over the next little bit. And the question for you, especially uh, for our kids, is there something unique about your family during the holidays? Is there something that you think as you talk to your friends or you look at Instagram posts that, that your family is probably the only family you know that does this? or maybe eats this. I want us to all think for a moment about the families we come from, the families we're in, even the families that we were a part of. Maybe your family doesn't live near here. And maybe just growing up, is there a tradition? Is there something you eat, something you do as a family that feels pretty unique? Maybe not unique that nobody else does it, but when you think about yourself, maybe not very many people do it like your family. All right, think of that thing. Now I'm gonna share uh, two, and my mom is here and she's gonna be so bummed that I'm showing this picture because I'm gonna expose a little bit about our family. Uh, see, in, in my family, the thing I want to say that's unique is, is something we eat. We eat at Thanksgiving. It, it, this dish doesn't have a name. It's just generally referred to as the onions. <laughs> and so about two weeks ago, I called my mom just to confirm that we were gonna have the onions. Now, that is the most unappetizing picture, and I'm not gonna make any of you converts, and if my mom knew that I was going to uh, show you what we ate, I'm sure she would have put more time into its presentation. Um, but this is a lovely, lovely dish, and really all I want you to walk away from this sermon is to give the onions a shot, okay? <laughs> Please take the dish down. It's pearl onions. It's kind of like green bean casserole, but substitute pearl onions for the green beans. So it's this creamy, oniony goodness that you should probably only have once a year. Um, and, and it's got cheese in it. And growing up, I remember uh, being repulsed by this dish, but somewhere around puberty, I was super into it. All of a sudden, the onions became delicious. And now, every year at Thanksgiving, my brother and myself and Jenny has joined the revolution in the family of being someone who will eat the onions. My stepdad won't touch the onions. Uh, my sister-in-law won't touch the onions. Henry said he'll try it someday, right? Okay, please do. It might change everything, son, okay? Um, <laughs> But, but I, I looked at lots of pictures on Friday of all of your Thursdays. I didn't see any onion dishes. It's unique to us. And if you came, and many have come, and had a meal with us at Thanksgiving, people would walk away, and you could easily say, that onion dish, the onions, is something unique to that particular family. Because each family has their own unique thing, or their unique sets of things something that makes your family, something you eat, something you do that proclaims to everybody else, this is who we are and we're set apart a little bit from everybody else. Now, now the text that we just read from the book of 1 John is very similar, but instead of our families that we are born into, he's talking about the church as a family. It's a really appropriate text for us on a morning where we have our kids with us all the way up to the oldest person in this room because this is what we call an all-church family Sunday, what it will be like in heaven when we're all together. And, and the words that we're looking at through the text of 1 John are family words for the church family. And just like in some of our families, it's something we eat or it's something we do, 
the writer of 1 John is proclaiming what's to be unique about this particular family, about the church family, about the followers of Jesus. How do we know that we really are the people of God? How do we really know and what does it look like to be the church? Now, this book is written at a time where there's some confusion happening about what it meant to be the family of God. It seems like that's always the case, right? Most of the books, most of the epistles are are writers writing into some confusing moments for the church and trying to bring clarity, trying to bring truth to a lot of things that weren't clear or that were untrue. Same is happening in 1 John. We think that this is going to a bunch of small churches and the big issue, if I was to summarize it very simply, the big issue was over who Jesus is. And there were a lot of different theories and ideas about Jesus and something that we, many of us, can wrap our minds around, that Jesus was fully human and fully God. We can't fully understand that. That was one of the big issues for the churches at the time this letter was written, is who is Jesus? And while some in our culture would say, it's really a stretch for me to believe that Jesus was God, in their culture at that time, it was a stretch for them to believe that Jesus was human. And because of that, there was confusion in the churches. And so the writer of 1 John is offering this letter to bring some clarity to say, this is what it means to be the church. And so this morning, Lake Avenue Church, let's let these words guide us as we pursue the question, what's it supposed to be like in our family? What's it supposed to be like in our church family here at 393 North Lake Avenue? The writer of this book is coming from a very pastoral place. If you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you'll see a warm pastor who loves their people, who wants them to know truth, who wants them to know their identity as followers of God, as believers in Jesus. So in the words that we will look at, there's just three Three things that are unique that we're going to look at. Three things. And if you follow Jesus a long time, there's nothing in these things that are going to be earth shattering and new to you. But maybe for some of us who are just beginning that journey with God, or maybe it's been a while since we've had a family chat about what it means to be the church. Gosh, I'm praying that this morning these words connect with you. And the first one is this, and it's a concept that our kids can really understand, many of them, is to be a part of this family. And it means that there is obedience to our Father. That part of being the family, part of being the church of Jesus Christ is recognizing that we have a Father in God. And we don't have just a distant Father who doesn't connect with his kids, who is in the other room watching TV. We have a God in our Father who loves his children, who loves being in relationship with us, his children. We have a God who who comes in a very personal way and interacts with us and is with us. And out of that intimacy that God our Father has with us, he asks us to obey him. Obedience to Father is something that many of us can at least understand because we are growing up in a home or we have grown or we grew up in a home where obedience to our parents was really important. Really important for a variety of reasons. But because we bring that kind of human understanding to what obedience means, we have to take a moment and understand what obedience means. What is God calling us to when he says, those who say, I know him, I know God, but do not do what he commands are liars. Big words. 
and the truth is not in them. But then conversely, if anyone obeys his word, love for God is made complete in them. Obedience is important for us as a church. But what obedience doesn't mean, obedience doesn't mean perfection. We don't have a God who is telling us, his children, be perfect. All the time, do it right. In fact, earlier, earlier in 1 John, he's reminding us. He doesn't, he says, I write this so you don't sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate of the Father in Christ Jesus, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Part of our obedience to God is recognizing that obedience and sin are a big deal to our Father. But just as much of a big deal to our Father as obedience and sin are is forgiveness. That obedience and forgiveness always go hand in hand as the people of God. Which means that for many of us, that's a change in how we've understand obedience, especially to a parent. Because many of us grow up or grew up at times, and I would say the teenagers in our room are growing up at a time where we, we sense that God is pleased with, we sense that people are pleased with us when we are doing the right things, but when we're not doing the right things, then people aren't pleased with us. So when you are performing, when you are doing well in your sport, when you are getting the good grades, when you are using the right manners wherever you are with your family, then people are pleased with you. And we bring that understanding of conditional love into our relationship to God. Obedience doesn't mean that if we just obey God enough, then he'll be pleased with us. It's such a, it's such a reversal. It's, it's that God loves us and he's so into us. He's so madly in love with us that the obedience is the opportunity to be in relationship with him, to be connected to him. I like how my good friend uh, who works right across the street at Fuller Seminary, Dr. Carapal, who's a part of our church, She speaks very clearly and says obedience is an opportunity to live lives of gratitude to God. And she talks about this with parents all the time and says, how can we help our children understand that being obedient to God, being obedient to God is is really an opportunity to make our lives like a thank you note to God. That we wake up every day and we recognize the gift of relationship that God has given us. The salvation through Jesus Christ. And we have an opportunity each day to live lives of obedience out of thankfulness to God. And to make our lives a thank you note. We don't obey God to appease God. We obey God to live lives of gratitude and intimacy with God. So in this family, what's unique about us is that we obey our father. The next thing we can see is in verse six. The other, the next unique thing about our family is that we follow the son, S-O-N, that we're following Jesus. I love how he says this, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now remember, I just gave you a little bit of context that Jesus was the confusing kind of element in the churches at this time. And if the struggle for these churches was to understand that Jesus was fully human and he lived a human life and he modeled for you and for me and for every human to ever live of what obedient living looks like, 
When you can say, well, Jesus was mostly, it was all God, and so it was just kind of a shadow form of being a human when he was on earth, then we can detach from that and go, there's really nothing about Jesus' life that we can, we can do, and so it's not worth following. It's impossible because he was God. Now, you and I, and in verse 6, we're encouraged. Obedience is what we're striving for with God, and Jesus is our example, which means that knowing Jesus through the scripture, knowing Jesus through prayer, knowing Jesus intimately is critical to our pursuit of being obedient. We can't live like Jesus lived if we don't know how he lived. Kids, students, that's why we talk about the life of Jesus a lot. How did Jesus speak to people? How did Jesus spend his time? What were the words that Jesus declared? Who were the people that Jesus hung out with? What were the causes that Jesus took up? All of that isn't just interesting Bible trivia. It's not just information to know, but it's a life to follow. It's a life to live. So we we strive to have obedience with our Father. Jesus is our example, so we follow Jesus. So which means this for all of us. Jesus' life isn't one that we just study. It's a life that we study so that we can live. So our words, our actions, our thoughts, the way we spend our money, the where we spend our time, how we function in relationships, all of that matters because it mattered to Jesus. And he spent time showing us how to live, teaching us how to live. Uh, theologian Marianne May Thompson is in her commentary on this, this verse says that the essential element in knowing if we're following Jesus is reflection. And so my question for you and for myself this week is how much time do you and I spend reflecting on the life of Jesus and also reflecting on our own life? Are we spending time in the scriptures to understand how Jesus lived, who he spent his time with, what he was about, and then spending some time reflecting about our own life? How, how did, what did my day look like? What did my thoughts look like? How did I treat my classmates? How did I treat my coworkers? How did I treat my family? Where was I lined up with following Jesus? Where, where did I have a clear detour from that? Where do I need to seek forgiveness? See, in our family, we strive to obey our Father, and the way we do that is by following Jesus and living as Jesus did. And this final aspect that I want to talk about this morning is the the thing that we'll conclude on, this other unique part of this family, is that we are a family, family that should have genuine love for one another. I mean, that's the whole rest of the scripture. Uh, Those who claim to be in light but hate a fellow believer are still in darkness. But those who love their fellow believers live in light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. Before that, he talks about, before he gives that kind of command that we should have genuine love for one another within this family. Now, Now, for a moment, let me be clear. We have a call on our lives to love everyone, not just the people who are in church and who are followers of Jesus. We have a call in our life to love everyone, but there's something unique. And Pastor Greg talks about this all the time. There's something unique about the kind of love that we should have towards one another in this family. 
because it's where real love is cultivated. It's where our ability to love people outside of our family, if we can't love inside of our family, how will we do that outside of our family? So, so when the writer here is talking about this being, there's nothing new I'm telling you. This is an old command because in the very beginning of the scriptures, we see this idea of love. That there's a call on our lives if we're in relationship with God to love others. And Jesus very clearly spent lots of time talking about loving other people. So he's saying, I'm not giving you something you don't know. But he says, there is something new I'm trying to describe to you. There's a new kind of idea here within this idea of loving others. And what's new, there's a couple of things. One, the depth of what real love is as demonstrated through Jesus dying on the cross. The depth of that love is new to this church. When Jesus wrote those words and, or taught those words and was written in the Old Testament, they didn't have this, the full expression of what real sacrificial love is in the crucifixion of Jesus. The other thing that's new is that the Holy Spirit hadn't descended on the community, the family, the church, and the critical importance it is for the church, the family of God, to be a place of love, and it's where God dwells. So you and I are called, if we're really uniquely part of this particular family, to be a group of people who have genuine love for one another, but we have a problem. And the problem is in the word love. We use love for everything. So you can love the mashed potatoes you had this week. And you can love your mother. And you can love your spouse and you can love the weather. Love in our language is, it just means so many things that when I, I'm afraid that when I think about, hey, yeah, you and I, we're called to love one another in this family, that that can be a very generic, warm and fuzzy feeling that we'll just kind of like tolerate and be okay with one another and not have any ill will. Love is a deep word. Love has deep meanings to it. And so for a moment, let me try to put some definition on what genuine love is. And the first one is this. Genuine love corrects. Love, Brian Loritz, and he speaks about this. And he goes, um, loving your neighbor, loving one another doesn't mean you get to be you. You just be you. No, see, we have a higher call, right? If our call is to be obedient to God and to follow Jesus, that when we're not being obedient, we're not following Jesus and out of our love for one another, that kind of love comes alongside and corrects where it's not living out. This whole, this whole book is a correction out of love. Is there some confusion about the, the theology of Jesus? There's some confusion in the relationships within this church. And out of love, the writer of 1 John sends this letter to correct, to correct where the error is. Lake Avenue Church, if we're truly going to love one another, it's not just a generic warm and fuzzy feeling. It's the ability to come alongside one another when we're missing something, when, when we haven't considered something, and to correct one another. And unfortunately, correctional love is something that we really understand as parents. Children, you understand this, that your parents love you, and so when they give you a, a timeout or a consequence for not living up to the expectation, it's out of love, and they tell you that all the time. Boys, I tell you that all the time. 
And we're very comfortable, most of the adults here are very comfortable about the idea of correctional love as it is down to a child or to a grandchild. But we get a little uncomfortable when we talk about correctional love from peer to peer, from adult to adult. If we're gonna be a church that's truly unique, truly has genuine love for one another, we have to be able to have correctional love. Second element of love that I wanna talk about, that genuine love celebrates. Genuine love celebrates. It's a kind of love that says, you are more important than me. And in a church like this, that we are more important than me. Uh, But in order to be, have genuine love for one another, to truly celebrate with one another, love requires listening. Have you ever been in a relationship or do you have a family relationship with someone who is a, who's a really not a good listener? How can someone celebrate what's going on in your life if they don't take the time to listen to what's happening in your life? I'm going to invite, as an example, my friend Kelly Williams to come up. You guys know Kelly. She serves on our uh, worship and arts division. She has grown up in this church. One of the, they like you. That's good. They're really clappy today, aren't they? I like it. Uh, one of the great privileges, I will say, as somebody who's been at this church a long time, is to, to know someone like Kelly from, from their adolescent days and now to be a, a peer, to be a friend with you and to watch you be an incredible adult. And in our attempt to learn how to listen and to celebrate, uh, Kelly and I are just going to ask her a couple questions. It's your opportunity to listen and it's your opportunity to celebrate what God's doing in Kelly's life. So Kelly, would you, and I know this is a vulnerable question, um, what's it like What has it been like for you the last couple of years being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus? Would you share with us? Um, It's actually been probably the most difficult time in my uh, Christian walk. Um, I've never questioned my faith. I've never questioned God. I've never been um, as hurt by the church and by Christians. Um, I have friends that are non-believers and they think the church and believers have caused more harm in the last couple of years. Um, And so it's just taken me, it's just taking me time to kind of like step back and say, okay, God, um, I'm struggling with who you are and I have a lot of pain and hurt, which turns into anger and frustration and resentment. Um, I'm like, but if you are a God of love, if you are the God who genuinely sees and hears us, um, you will find me and you will take me out of uh, this place of just uncertainty. And um, he's done that bit by bit. Um, and I'm grateful to be part of like the worship and arts division that has kept me in. Um, but um, yeah, it's just, it's been the hardest thing. But so, so in one question is, how's it been the last couple of years? And because I, I know the answer to this, what's it like right now for you? How are you feeling about being a Christian and being a part of this particular family? What, what's God saying and speaking into you right now in your life? Um, he's shown me that even in times of frustration when we're in the world, um, coming back and particularly being asked to be a part of the Sunday night service, um, just the team that we're on when we talk about our heart and the passion that we have. It's just so organic. It's there. And I'm just reminded at every meeting that 
he's still there. I still love God. I still love the church. And um, it's been a healing process. It's slow. There are days where it's, it's like, oh, I, feel, I feel your presence and we're here. Um, and other days you're so frustrated. But what's great about Sunday night, um, it's that I feel like it's, we're, we're sitting there. It's a, really about our heart is that believers who've been in this walk can come alongside those who have never known Jesus or who are really struggling and can sit with them and walk with them and see them because at the end of the day, all of us want to be seen and all of us want to be loved and heard and cared for. And that is what God provides. And I'm telling you, that is what non-believers desperately want and need. Um, and so I'm just excited for the moments that we get to grow as a church, um, as new believers, as young people can come in um, and say, here in this beautiful chapel that is so intimate and small, um, we, we hear you and we see your pain and we acknowledge your pain. And it's okay whether you come in and you just want to sit and you don't want to sing. That's okay. God can speak to you there. It's okay if you want to stand up and lift your arms. That's okay. Um, we want a Sunday night to be a place where people feel at home. Um, and if they come in broken, they leave just feeling a little bit more whole, a little bit more peace and joy. Um, and then lastly, I think the importance is, is silence. It's so noisy um, out there. It's, it's, we we are, have our headphones on, but we just want to sit and be silent because that's where God is a lot of the time. He's in the stillness. Um, and there's something about holding space together as believers um, and just allowing God to speak to us where we are. So I'm, I'm excited um, what God has. I'm excited for the challenges. I'm excited to share Sunday night um, with everyone um, and for the unique talents and gifts that God has that we haven't unearthed yet. I'm excited for those people to come forth um, and to just enrich our family. Can we thank Kelly for her story? Thank you. Genuine love celebrates. Genuine love listens. Um, Kelly's story isn't unique. Many of you over the last couple of years have, could articulate something very similar. It's been hard. It's been hard to follow Jesus. It's been hard. And then to hear her share so organically, so passionately where her excitement for the future is. Do we do that with one another enough? I mean, I know we do that. Oftentimes we do that with the people we're closest with, but in this particular family, what's unique is we, we get to do that with one another and hear the stories of, for some of you, you haven't heard that story before. Um, and there's so many more stories like that. And then if we have a genuine love for one another, we listen to one another, we celebrate uh, with one another. Final thing I want to close with is that genuine love corrects, genuine celebrates, but genuine love is, is consistent too. I, I didn't grow up in a, in a family unit with consistent love. Uh, you know my story, many of you. If you don't, my parents divorced when I was in sixth grade. It's had a profound impact on my life, but it's also the gateway of how God used that circumstance to bring me into relationship with him. So I'm so grateful for it. I would never change it. But the idea of consistency in love is something that um, is so foundational to being this family. In First John, people were leaving the church in droves over these differences, over these heresies, actually, and 
And, and we might not have that issue, and we might not have that issue at all. Uh, but, but there's something about genuine love, genuine relationship. In this family, we stick with one another. Kelly, I love your story for that. That throughout a difficult time and the hurt that she has experienced, she, she never left. And many have. Genuine love for one another corrects, it celebrates, but it stays, it remains. The letter of 1 John is, a, is an attempt to say, stick it out. Be with one another. Love one another. And all of that matters because, brothers and sisters, the way we love one another is the evidence. It is the evidence of our obedience to God. The way you and I love one another in the fullest definition of love is evidence if we're following Jesus or not. John Stott, to close the message, great theologian, pastor, says this about the scriptures we have just studied. The true Christian... The true Christian who knows God and walks in the light, both obeys God and loves his brother and sister. The genuineness, the genuineness of their faith is seen in their right relation to both God and their fellow human beings. So Lake Avenue Church, the prayer is this, is that we would continue to grow as a family and, and not just the unique food dishes we eat at Lake, because there are plenty. Those aren't the things that define us. What define us are, one, our obedience to God, two, our following of Jesus, and three, our genuine love for one another. Join me in prayer. Father, to obey you is difficult. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to guide us, to walk with us. Thank you for your son, sending your son Jesus Christ to die on that cross as an ultimate act of love, but also for his life, his human life that taught us how to live, how to move, how to be in relationship, to know what really matters. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Help us at Lake Avenue Church follow your son Jesus. And God, I pray for evidence all the time, everywhere in the life of this church of genuine love for one another, loving correction when it needs to happen, listening, celebrating, and remaining, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.